Welcome back to the Freaky Deaky Podcast. We have something special for you today. This will be our first time talking to another podcaster. You can consider this in addition to our Jack Parsons episode. There was so much to the story of Parsons that we skimmed over much of his occult views. He was a Thelemite, so we reached out to a practicing Thelemite to get a little of the history of Thelema and Jack Parsons. Her name is Georgina Rose, and you can find her on Instagram and YouTube as Dot Darling, and that's spelled D-A-A-T. And check out her podcast, Occultism with a Side of Salt, on YouTube and Spotify. We will share links in the show notes. If you're interested in Thelema, I highly recommend Georgina's material. I would also like to thank her for her patience as this was my first time doing this. She was an amazing guest, being both passionate and knowledgeable. So we hope you enjoy this discussion with Georgina. Let us know if you want us to do something like this on other subjects. Welcome to the show, Georgina. I apologize Scott and Heather couldn't make it for this recording, but hopefully the next time we talk, they'll be here. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into occultism? Hello, um, I'm Georgina Rose. I'm a podcaster and YouTuber and writer. I write about the occult. Uh, I'm a thalamite occultist myself, just like how Jack Parsons was. Uh, I got into the occult about five years ago, and it sort of began, I I always was into like, you know, the stereotypical occultist background of like being into kind of weird things and like the paranormal and whatnot. And I just basically started like researching local folk traditions and found Thoema pretty quickly and really connected with it. And it really changed my life for the better in a lot of ways. And so then I started uh, about a year ago posting online about it and helping spread good information and debunk uh, misinformation about uh, like, like all the, 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 there's a lot of misinformation about Thelema online. It gets kind of a, a bad rap that doesn't really deserve. And I just wanted to help kind of clear the air and inspire other people who are interested in, in it. It makes a lot of sense to me. Like I said, I, when I first started looking into it, a lot of the stuff you hear is really sensational or, talking about evil and why do you think that the occult world kind of gets that evil tag? Well, the occult world has had that tag for a very long time. Even back when the major big occultists were Christians and were associated with the church, you've got people like John D. Wright who were base who were involved with the British government and were and this was in the 1600s and with the church. And even he was accused of devil worship. Occultism is always kind of scared people because the idea that someone can reach spirituality by communicating to entities directly and doing it directly rather than having a priest explain all that to you is an idea that fundamentally goes against most kind of exoteric understandings of religion and kind of it's it's something that's a little bit of a threat to that order and hierarchy and so the occult gets a bad rap because it's seen as as kind of dangerous for that reason and it kind of is is heretical inherent inherently and 
people just love to to use the word devil worship and that type of stuff. Yeah, it's, it seems like the the easy way to go is when it's a little different. They're gonna say it's the devil that's doing it. Yeah, which ninety nine percent of people don't work with the devil. There there are the few who do, but they're like five people. So <laughs> <laughs> so and not, that's not Thelema. <laughs> yeah, not as not as uh, prolific as they try to lead us to believe. Like the world's no. gonna end because the devil's gonna get in through our yeah. music and and our practices every day. One of the things that uh, well, my co-host Scott, he, he brought up Jack Parsons and Aleister Crowley. Now, first off, I, I started looking at Aleister Crowley, but Jack Parsons kind of jumped out at me because he's just such an interesting guy. But before we get into him, what's your take on Aleister Crowley and him kind of making himself seem like he was evil when it kind of just seems like he was gaining notoriety through the newspapers at the time to me. Yeah. So with the newspaper stuff, Crowley did a lot of interviews with the British press and he really had fun essentially trolling them. He would tell them these things and they were all coded jokes. Uh, Like he made some comments that he would intentionally make seem very nefarious, but it was just him referring to like a casual ritual just in these dark terms because he found it funny the way they would write hit pieces about him. It, it kind of boosted his ego in a weird way, and he had fun doing it. So because of that, the British press obviously ran with all the what he said just off. Like, he, they just trusted what he was saying. <laughs> and it sold and a lot of he, newspapers, right? Yeah, yeah, it was all the newspapers, and he he really ran with it. And essentially, it was like a joke, mostly. But it did cause for everyone who came after him some problems. Because now we've got, when you look up Philema, you see him saying these very dramatic things. And it makes our lives a little bit harder, even if for him it was entertaining. So I, I really respect Crowley, and I think he was a great thinker. Sometimes I wish he held his tongue a little bit more, but his work was prolific. And pretty much every modern occultist owes some credit to his work. Yeah, he's... One of the things too is there's a lot to him and it was, I think I'll have to do a lot more research and understand a lot more before I get into, we get into an episode on him and be able to do it justice. When you first get into Thelema, do you, where do you start with? Yeah. So, well, the first thing about Thelema is it's really three things. It's not just one thing. It's a philosophy it's a religion and it's a practical, like mystical system. It's all three of those things. So when you start becoming a Thelemite on the very base level, you simply just have to agree with the notion of true will and following your will. That's the very basic level. So once you have that idea and you agree with that kind of philosophical notion, then you can dive into like the really light ritual work, right? Like this thing called the star Ruby or Resh, which is basically just praying four times a day, uh, like very small things. That's where you begin. And then with time, you do more complex rituals, you dive into reading like Crowley's more advanced text compared to like his beginner, his beginner friendly writing, like the comment, uh, confessions or the laws for all. You start getting into like the book of lies and you do much more grandiose stuff. But basically it just begins with like prayer and reading his work and like small rituals. And then you work up with time. Okay. And what's your understanding of like how Jack Parsons came to 
start looking into Aleister Crowley? Yeah, so Jack Parsons beginning with Crowley was, well, the very first thing, and a lot of these people begin the story with him finding Agape Lodge. But prior to that, he had read some Crowley and had like known he existed. And then like once he started, he met up with the people at Agape Lodge, which was a defunct branch of what's now the OTO, though his lodge actually doesn't have ties. Like basically when we say he was in the OTO, it's not the same as the modern OTO because the OTO ceased to exist after Agape Lodge stopped functioning until the late 70s. So there's that big gap in time. So it's really not the same organization that it is now. But when he found that, that's when he got really deep and really fell in love with it. And then later on, he began like sending some letters with Crowley and directly communicating with him. But it all began with just him reading and meeting up with people at this lodge in his city. And he seemed like a very charismatic man that was just able to decide something and, and do it. Do you think that the focus on Thelema maybe helped help that along? Absolutely. Uh, Jack Parsons was absolutely a willful person, even before Salima. He was someone who really lived in line with his will and was very strong-willed. Uh, when you meet Thelemites, you quickly notice that a lot of us have this kind of temperament to us where we're extremely intense. Uh, very, Whenever we put our minds on something, we go very hard and have this, 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 this willful, strong-willed nature to us just as people, because I think that personality really guides itself to Thelema, and that's why we see such a heavy correlation with it. But yeah, I mean, I think he just really connected with the writings and the ideas and already was sort of a Thelemite even before becoming a proper Thelemite, if that makes any sense. Yes, yes, it does. Do you think, since since you're, you say Thelemites tend to be strong-willed, do you think it's more because of their practice, they kind of get to the know the, get to know themselves better and feel more comfortable with who they are in the world around oh. them? Oh, absolutely. I think uh, when when you're looking into Salima and you read a lot about this will concept and these these rituals and whatever, that certain temperament will naturally like those ideas a bit better. But I think like the longer I've been into Thelema, the more the more I've been like that and the more confident I've been in my decisions and the more sort of certain I am in what I'm doing. It's it's really like in a lot of ways, a lot more self-improvement and self-actualization through these rituals rather than like gaining material riches or these kind of things that the occult like gets seen as. It's a lot more about like self-actualization in the end. That's what it seems like just from my perspective, just starting to learn about it. Um, could you talk about do what thou wilt and explain that to some of us that have never heard it or take it the wrong way? Oh, absolutely. So the big axiom you hear with Thelema is the line, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. And that first line, do what thou wilt, is definitely the more famous half of the statement. And people really interpret that on a surface level as I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, I'm going to be hedonistic, I'm going to, you know, do very hedonistic things. However, when we say will in that line, we're not referring to like, what I want in the moment, but rather this concept called true will, which is essentially that everyone has this sort of guiding inner thing that they're, they're chasing as a person. And that's like, kind of, I don't want to say higher purpose, but that's a very good, if you're not a Thelemite, like concept that kind of has a similar feeling to it. Uh, and so when we say do what thou wilt, we're talking about chasing that higher will, not necessarily what you want in that exact minute. Though, of course, Thelema has a different, it, does, it doesn't have like a Christian morality system to it. We don't shame people who are 
a little more like sexual or do more kind of things that you would see as a sin in a Christian context. Yeah, it it, it almost seems like you're it seems to focus you on from my my view, maybe like doing the right thing for that moment. Yeah. And that kind of changes based on who you are in that moment and what your goals Absolutely. are. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so, a great interpretation of it. Yeah. And, and it just seems like maybe I would say the Christian religion sometimes might want to take that as you can get away with everything and you're going to do all kinds of bad things to everybody. And it just doesn't really feel like that when you look into it a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely not. On the surface, though, I mean, I do see why people misinterpret it so much. It's when if you're not familiar with the idea of like will in a thalamic context, it's easy to misinterpret it. And I see why people do, honestly. And I think if you come from, say, a Christian background or any kind of like of the major religions background, it, it just throws people off because it's kind of opposite of what what they've been hearing all their life. Oh, absolutely. Thelema is, a lot of people come to Thelema from a Christian background. I mean, Aleister Crowley himself what, grew up in fundamentalist Christianity before he, you know, broke off and joined the Golden Dawn and then started Thelema later in his life. So Thelema is pretty opposed, like, like, it stands in contrast to it in a lot of ways. And there are a lot of things that when you're from that background, Thelema feels very antithetical to it. And it's sort of a worldview change that happens as you get deeper into Thelema. Okay. Um, and you realize like, it's not as, it, 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 it's a lot more gray. It's a much more gray way of seeing the world compared to this very duotheistic uh, black and whiteness that you see in the Abrahamic religions. Yeah. It feels a little bit more realistic to me. Like it's, the world is a complicated place. So certain rules that try to make it black and white don't seem to really work in the real world. Yeah, I feel the same way. That's sort of part of why I think Thelema works so well in the modern world. I think it's a very, mo like, like it does pull from things like paganism and early Jewish mysticism and a lot of very old things. But Thelema, since it isn't that old, is very much applicable to modern life. And I think connects with a lot of people in a way that some of these much, much older faiths don't exactly hold up in certain ways. It feels Thelema is very applicable now. It's, it seems more inclusive, too, than a lot of the other religions. Um, yeah. It, you, there's, since there's not doesn't seem to be the judgment or the same kind of judgment, it seems like just about anybody could, could get involved and find something for them in Thelema. Oh, absolutely. You can be anyone and be a Thelemite. You can, like, I think a big thing that I've pointed out is that you don't need to be a super big ceremonial practitioner and do all these you don't need to do like the massive rituals that obviously Parsons and Crowley were into to be a Thelemite. You can be a Thelemite and only really follow like the more philosophical side and do a little bit of the ritual work. Uh, or you can be someone who's super, super deep into it like I am and do a ton of rituals and go very far with it. It's very open-ended and can be interpreted in a lot of ways and practiced in a very, very different way. Like two Thelemites practices are pretty different a lot of the time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Were you... When you, before you, in, as you were growing up, were you very spiritual or was your family very spiritual? Uh, my family was like lightly Christian. Like we went to church for Christmas and Easter and a Sunday now and then, but we weren't like super religious. Okay. So it was just it maybe gave you a little bit more freedom to see the world around you and the differences maybe. You know, cause I, I yeah. see a lot of people that grow up 
in in as a Christian um, that really struggle with the different way of looking at the world that somebody in Thelema or even the occult might might see and and it's just a I see how much they struggle with this. Oh yeah, there are a lot of people who get into the occult, and you can tell there's sort of like religious imprints that have kind of clung to them from their previous religion. Because a lot of people do end up getting into the occult and then later converting to some other paradigm or religion or something. And some people do kind of get hung up in their previous paradigm, which makes sense. I mean, those things really inform our worldview and it's a big, it's a big paradigm shift. Right. Right. Um, with Parsons, I, and I see this in some of the videos I watch or, um, strange angel where he does his little prayer before he launches one of his rockets. Can you, Tell us about that a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Uh, as a Thelemite, I'm very much like a, like a jokingly, I've called myself a Parsonite because I'm super influenced by Parsons' writings in particular. So I, I got you. Uh, but basically his prayer is, it's the hymn to Pan. It's a invocation. And Pan represents this very sort of carnal, masculine, raw, feral, unchecked, like, like pure, raw, like wooden, like, like deep in the woods, kind of unrefined masculinity. Okay. And so he did this prayer and I actually was kind of confused at first why these aligned because Pan is such an earth associated deity. Hmm. It comes from the Greco Roman stuff, but, uh, and then he used it to wrap, like shoot up into space. But then I had, I thought about it and this whole, like, like, limitless masculinity, this super strong, forceful, willful masculine energy does align with the idea of breaking what possibilities we have and breaking kind of our societal understanding and returning to that kind of openness and feralness. So what he was doing is he believed that this pan invocation would allow him to sort of break those boundaries and connect to this like aggressive masculine energy and be able to fully like push off into space. So that's what his thought was. Okay. Okay. It's just one of those things that in all the shows I've seen that they talk about them, they really, I guess, dramatize that. And I think that's something that would throw a lot of people off that are new to that kind of thinking. Um, it it to, to some of those people, it might seem like, is, is he doing something to the devil? It's really funny how they <laughs> always go back to the devil for every little thing. Oh, yeah. And with Pan, I mean, it's it makes sense why people go back to the devil in particular, because... Uh, the image of the devil with horns is actually never described in the Christian Bible. It came later when the Christians in Europe were trying to demonize pagan religion. We have Serranios, Pan, and a couple other deities that are horned. Mm -hmm. And so to demonize the pagan faith and help people convert, they transform this image of the devil into matching those gods. So there's a pretty direct tie, but... Yeah, it's, it's not biblically based at all. I think I've seen some stuff in, in even even in Africa where they've kind of taken their local deities and turned them into the devil. Yeah, it happens a lot. Uh, if you look at like what Christianity ended up becoming, it's pretty you, you can see like pagan influences on it all over the place. Yeah, for sure. That's and I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about the occult is it kind of goes back a lot of it or stretches back to before Christianity. It, it's like yeah. the er, the earliest form of religion that the other religions seem to take from later on. Yeah. And when we look at what modern paganism is, because we had so much records written by Christians, you can see Christian influences in it. Christianity and paganism 
are not a dichotomy. They're a lot more intertwined than people think they are. And I think the deeper I get into the occult, the more I realize that they're not as separate as you would think. Right. And especially because of like how history played out. Yeah. It's always interesting when you bring that up to somebody and, and it's, they really struggle believing that. But I think if they look deeper, they would, it'd be easy to find those connections. Now, one of the big things that you see about Jack Parsons is his Scarlet Woman, which to me was truly fascinating. But could you give us your take on his Scarlet Woman and what that is all about? Yeah. Uh, so the Scarlet Woman, which the interpretation kind of changed with Jack Parsons, actually. Mm-hmm. Jack Parsons' real contributions to the canon of Selena sort of begin here. So Crowley's idea of the Scarlet Woman was that the Scarlet Woman was sort of a tool to connect to this abyssal energy and was a gateway. And so he had these female ritual partners who he would use to do to fill that gap. Parsons came on and took it a slightly different way where he took it as the Scarlet Woman was very literally, which one of Crowley's Scarlet Woman actually did say this first, which she said after he moved to the next one. But that's that's a whole can of worms. He kind of took that Scarlet Woman was sort of Babylon incarnate on Earth, and he really ran with that notion. And so he saw Marjorie Cameron, who he 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 said he sort of summoned in a way, or brought. He did a ritual to sort of bring that person into her, her his life, um, sort of fulfilled that for him. And uh, we we see it shift from Crowley seeing the Scarlet Woman as a tool to Jack Parsons essentially in his writings about Babylon and his relationship with her and his workings, sort of seeing it as something to like, like worship over himself and prioritize kind of over himself later in his life. When it gets into like his, his book, like the book of the antichrist and like library 49, this becomes even more strong. And Marjorie Cameron, Cameron seems like somebody that could have her own episode. She seemed to live, oh, live yeah. a really interesting life. She's fascinating. She's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah, and I just, I've never really heard of her until I started looking into Jack Parsons, and then she's on my list to learn more about just because of how interesting her whole life was before and after that. Yeah. Um, with, when I was talking to my co-host Scott last night, he wanted me to ask about Babylon because he, he's, he's a Christian, so he has a really Christian view of Babylon. And I don't think, first off, I think people mix up Babylon and, you know, the city of Babylon. But what does she mean to the Lima? And can you just kind of tell us a little bit about who Babylon is? Yeah, so Babylon does have ties to the Christian, the Christian whore of Babylon. There is a connection there. Uh, Babylon and Thelema is a, a goddess. She is... She pulls from the Christian Babylon, Inanna, Ishtar, and a couple of other deities from that from the kind of Sumerian Semitic Babylonian region, uh, and takes it in a different direction. She represents this this untamed female sexuality, this loudness, this this confidence, this lib. She's a liberatory force, right? She represents liberation and mm-hmm. sort of this 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 divine feminine that doesn't bow to a man and is vocal loud and is like like very open in a lot of ways and connects to these this the sephirot of bina she's 
especially in Parsons' writings, because Parson makes her basically the Parsons takes Babylon and Pan and makes them like the principal deities of his interpretation of Thelema, mm-hmm. sort of like how Gardner would with Wicca about 20 years later. But he sees Babylon as a force of complete liberation, a reaper of revolution and change, and sort of this, this kind of powerful liberating revolutionary female force uh he wrote a lot about sort of in in the writings we have which we don't have a ton because cameron did destroy a few mm-hmm. uh, for a, for a variety of reasons but she's she's he sees her as like the way to bring on an age of complete freedom where we're liberated from our previous limits and are able to fully be ourselves he sees her as the gateway to that and is ext- she sees her as extremely essential in this transition and as a way to kind of unchain women. He wrote about how he thought the early rise of feminism was representing an increase of Babylon's energy in the world, which I think is a very, very interesting take. So, he, yeah. He always had, he, he seemed to have a view that was ahead of his time for men, considering he was, this was, a lot of this was going on in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Oh, yeah. If you read his his slightly more his slightly political essay, Freedom is a Two-Edged Sword, which ends with a passage talking about how Babylon will come and bring about this liberating thing that will give us freedom from our culture. He talks a lot about things that I was reading it back the other day because of some stuff that was happening in politics. And it's still like on the mark. Like he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I have I started reading that actually I think in one of your videos or a post online that you suggested that and I didn't get too far into it yet but it was it was definitely something that I that is relevant even today. Oh yeah, he said a lot of things that really do hold up. I think he was I think Parsons was just born like 40 years too early because I think if he was he had lived in like the 70s or the 90s like he'd still be kind of progressive and kind of a little radical, but he wouldn't be as radical as he was at the time. Right. It seems like now his voice, some of the things he talked about back then are actually starting to happen. And it's it's crazy yeah. that it's taken this long to start getting oh, yeah. to a place like, like we are now where maybe things can get better. Yeah. Do you think um, the whole reason that so many people look at um, Babylon is evil is just because of the maybe the repression back in early Christian writings just to kind of control maybe control women I guess at the time yeah I mean I think people look at Babylon negatively simply because they recognize the name from revelations mm-hmm. Babylon appearing in revelations is not doesn't doesn't do much she just kind of like exists and represents well truly her position in revelations is kind of a metaphor for some political stuff that was happening when the bible was written right or like when revelations happened but yeah people see that and they go oh my god we're talking about the evil people in revelations and don't realize that like philemic babylon pulls from a lot of other kind of entities and history than just that one thing I think people just the name throws them off, to be honest. Yeah, that's what it seems like to me. And then once it takes a while to get them past that. And and maybe yeah. that's one of the reasons I wanted I wanted to talk to you about this, since we're talking about Jack Parsons. I, I just felt like it'd be better to talk to somebody that could give us a realistic view of the Lima and part of that whole structure around his life that led him to do some of the things he did. 
Could you tell us a little about the uh, holy holy guardian angel in Thelema and what that is and what it means? Oh yeah, the holy guardian angel is a concept that goes back to the daemon from, if you're familiar with uh, Socrates, mm -hmm. it's basically that concept. Uh, the holy guardian angel is a spirit that is tied to us our whole lives, whether they're kind of, there are different interpretations of whether it's a fully external entity or more along the lines of a higher self type concept. That's a whole debate in the Thelemic community. But basically, it's a guiding spirit that helps you align with your will and know what you're trying to do with your life and give you guidance. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. How far, I mean, that seems like something that might be a difficult thing to bring about when you're practicing the Lima. Do you have to go through a lot of, uh, I guess, learning to get to that point where you can work on that? Yeah, it's not like the thing you do first, but it's, it's, it's once you've done, like, once you've got, like, your foundations down and you're comfortable with it, then people start working on it. It's something that you do a little later, I would say. But it's not, like, the last thing you do as a Thelemite. Do you uh, consider the whole learning about or becoming a Thelemite, is it is it a pretty difficult process or is it just a structured pro pro process that you have to just work on? It depends on like how far you want to go with Thelema, to be honest. Whether you're someone who wants to be just a more casual Thelemite who does a ritual now and again and just agrees with the philosophy and beliefs, it's going to be a very different thing than someone who wants to do things like or, like cross the abyss and work with the Goetia and these much more advanced things. It just depends on how far you want to take Thelema, to be honest. Okay. And if, and if somebody is interested in it, where do you suggest they go first besides your your uh, social media presence, which we'll <laughs> yeah, share beyond, soon. Thank you. Uh, beyond my social media, I would suggest like reading some books on it. I wouldn't start with Crowley's writing unless you want to start with something like The Laws for All or Magic Without Tears, because his books can be very kind of hard to grasp if you don't have a foundation. There's a writer named Lon Milo Duquette who makes very beginner-friendly, accessible books on Thelema. David Shoemaker uh, does similar stuff. Those two are a good place to begin if you're like an absolute beginner right. and like developing a meditation practice and that type of stuff. Okay. And since, since we mentioned it, can you tell us where people can find you on social media? Yeah, I'm under Dot Darling on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Patreon. And I post the podcast Occultism with a Side of Salt, which is on... Um, Spotify and YouTube. When I first came across your stuff, I noticed the dot darling. And I was yeah. really confused by the dot part. What, is, what does that mean? Does that have some special meaning to you? Yeah, so dot is the name of the false Sephirah in Kabbalah, the mysticism system that originates in Judaism and then carries all the way through Hermeticism, Christianity, and into Thelema. Dot is the sphere of it, it's it's the sphere of a basically complete complete knowledge and understanding, but it's also the abyss at the same time. So it's like it's like going into the shadow to find knowledge in the depths of that. So that's really a very very oversimplified version of what that word means. Okay, okay. yeah, because I, I kind of looked it up and it and it seemed like it had a lot of meaning, so I figured I'd let you explain it because it, it's. It, it was just such a different looking word than I'd ever seen before. It just grabbed my attention. 
Thank you. I'm glad you think it's a pretty. I I like the way it's spelled too. It does. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's it's very distinct and and different than everything I've seen before. I think. But then when I looked into it a little bit and found out there was a little bit of background to it, uh, it was even better. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, it's an interesting concept if, if you look it up and want to go down a research rabbit hole. Yeah, I, that's, I started doing that and I ran out of time. Like I said I was at work when I was researching, so <laughs> you have to kind of do it in between the stuff you're really supposed to be doing and stuff or, or late at night. Yeah. As far as I think some people might recognize on the Strange Angel show about Jack Parsons on CBS, and I, and I watched a, one of your videos where you talked about it. What are some of the things that you think people should focus on if they watch that show or and ignore if they watch it? Yeah, so I did a whole YouTube video review on it. Um, overall, I like the show. I would focus on sort of the, the focus on Will. They explain it really well in that show, just like through the plot of the show. Like the Thelemic philosophy, that show actually explains it very well. I was pretty impressed by it. Uh, things to kind of ignore is the way they portray the rituals. Their ritual scenes are not very accurate. <laughs> oh, on the whole, some of them are okay. The Gnostic mass scene is pretty controversial because they made it a lot edgier than the actual ritual is. But it, it, the rituals are just not accurate. That's just the thing to kind of pay less attention to. They're not that far off. Like they do the, you know how they like sing the sounds? Mm-hmm. Like, that's a huge thing in the phlegmic system. We call it vibrating. Okay. So that stuff's accurate. Like, the the, the, the history's accurate, and the story's accurate, and the, the philosophy's accurate, but the rituals are very sensationalized. Yeah. It's, it, seemed, it's, it seemed to give you the story and then give you some entertainment with it. Some things just are going to work on television or in movies that aren't quite the way things are in reality. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no way a Hollywood like TV show is going to spend like two hours on a ritual scene. It'd be boring. It wouldn't work on film. Like, right. So. I think they, they changed what they did because it's a TV show. Yeah. So why do you think Parsons called himself the Antichrist? Oh, yeah. So Parsons called himself the Antichrist. For, for a, a few reasons, but he essentially just saw himself so opposed to the dominant narrative and culture that he felt like he was reaping like a, like a new era into the world, essentially. Also with his ideas about how Babylon would incarnate and all type of stuff, he saw himself as the beginning of something bigger. I don't, he didn't believe he was the actual antichrist, but he took on that label kind of just, just to, to, I guess, connect with his thoughts would be my closest guess in the simplest form. Yeah, it seems like we always, that oh. word is evil to us, but it didn't feel like that's what he was. He wasn't coming at it from an evil angle. Oh, no, he didn't mean to go about it like that. That wasn't his intention. It's similar to how Crowley called himself the Great Beast. It's just a, a title, essentially. Yeah, it almost feels like they're challenging us to look beyond the words, in a way. I think so, too, to yeah. see beyond that kind of uh, ordinary morality. Right, and then the, the people that can't see beyond that are just kind of stuck with whatever they've chosen because they won't look any deeper than, I guess, what yeah. it sounds like. That's why at the back of 
Crowley's most famous book, The Book of the Law, it says you have to destroy the copy after reading it to weed out those type of people. I was wondering about that because I've seen that pop up a lot and I didn't quite get what the burning part was. Yeah, I don't know why everyone burns it, but it just seems like when pe the people who take that up face value and then destroy their copy almost always burn it. I don't know why they choose that, but yeah. That's an, <laughs> it's kind of a funny way of doing things, but you know, if, if it works for whoever's doing it, I think that's fine. Yeah. I have trouble burning books, so maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've heard stories of people I know who work at like occult stores. You say they pretty regularly see people come in like a week later after buying their coffee to get a second one. <laughs> That's probably a good way of selling more books, I guess, if, if you're, you know, back in the days of Crowley, who was pretty good at promoting himself. That's true. That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> he seemed to be a little ahead of all the, the journalism at the time. And he, he would have probably fit with our current, you know, media. Oh, he would have oh played God, him really be... well. Yeah, he'd be all over Twitter, I think, of all platforms. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's the, how would you, what would you think would be, I guess, the best way of somebody just learning about Parsons now to kind of connect him to what we need in this, in this current world and how learning about him could help them in, in their, you know, journey to becoming a, a Thelemite? Yeah. So if you want to start with Parsons, I would recommend like looking into what his beliefs are because his philosophical beliefs and the way that his vary from Crowley's really impact his approach. Uh, for him as a two-edged sword is where I would start. If you want to go from like a practitioner perspective to learn about Parsons and just kind of look into his techniques and his, his thoughts kind of in reaction to the Thelema ahead of it. And just try some of the stuff he did uh, work with like Pan and Babylon, especially because those are the two deities he cared the most about and focused most of his time on. Okay. And, and sometimes you hear people talk about if you try to work with some of these entities, they're going to all of a sudden you're going to lose control and you're going to have this darkness around you forever because you can't get rid of these entities based on whatever magic you might be working on. Is, is there any truth yeah. to that? Um, I mean, I haven't had that experience and I work with entities very heavily. Uh, I think that you should be careful and you should know what you're doing before you do it and not like impulsively do some ritual without knowing why it works and how. But I think that's not going to happen. I've, I've, not, I've not experienced it happening. I've seen some people get into the occult and kind of fall off a bit and have a negative experience with it because they didn't they didn't do the proper research they didn't do precautions but on the whole it's pretty rare for that to happen yeah. sometimes it seems like some of the precautions are more of a to protect your psychology in a way and that could be maybe why some people struggle at certain points because they haven't taken care of themselves the way they need to when they're getting into something like this and maybe it has oh, nothing absolutely. to do with any entities or anything it's just maybe they're the framework of their mind isn't quite prepared. Yeah, the line between the esoteric and the psychological is less of a line and more of just a gray blob of merging. It's it's if you don't have your like psychology under control and do your shadow work and see a therapist and like, you know, what I mean, like if you're not right. in the right mindset, the occult is not going to 
just like like it, it it takes time and puts a little bit of pressure on you mentally so right that, that keep keeping tabs on that and staying grounded into reality is really important that makes a lot of sense and one thing that really shocked me in parson's life was his friendship with l ron hubbard i oh, i just thought yeah. that was the craziest thing i ever came across when i started looking into him what do you yeah. think of that i mean do you think that later on he took what he learned from Parsons to start Scientology? First of all, I want, as a Thelemite, I think we should get uh, reparations and a yacht back for the money he stole from Jack Parsons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we want our yacht back. Yeah. Sci Scientology, uh, I got, oh, I, I think they blocked me on Twitter because I kept <laughs> tweeting at them to give us our yacht back. But anyways, uh, <laughs> so... They, they, he took basically that friendship began because they met at this book club and Parsons really liked, uh, for anyone listening who doesn't know the story, really liked L. Ron Hubbard's books that he wrote because Jack Parsons was really into science fiction as a person. Right. And so they became friends. And I think when we look at like, and then of course he, L. Ron Hubbard stole Jack Parsons' girl, tons of money, a yacht, and really ripped the guy off and burnt him pretty bad. Yeah. And then a little while later started Scientology. Scientology is not a cult at all, but there are certain things that I do think he took from Thelema. Um, I think the all the stuff about Xenu and the all that he completely made up. So that mm -hmm. doesn't have any connection to Thelema. I don't know how he came up with up with any of that. Right. But some of the psychological stuff that he took, I do see influences from Thelema. The way that they have the levels in Scientology, I think he stole from the OTO's degree structure, okay. which is the organization Parsons was involved with. Yeah. But it, it, they're pretty different. There's some things where you can like look at it and go, I guess. Like, like, like Hubbard did take some inspiration, but all the stuff about like aliens and whatever, that's not in Thelema. I don't know. I don't know where Elron Hubbard got any of that, to be honest. Yeah, I think but, he just figured out how to to work people and took a little bit of everything. Yeah, is what it seemed like to me. But but then again, yeah. I guess if you sue that, you say that sometimes you get sued or or whatever from them. So I'm but, pretty sure that's why Strange Angel got canceled. I heard this is a rumor that the reason why they got canceled is because they had Elron Hubbard show up. Oh. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but that's an internet rumor. So. That wouldn't surprise me too much. It was just, I would have never expected to see L. Ron Hubbard pop into the story when he did. And then, and then be so typically L. Ron Hubbard the whole way through. Oh yeah. I can't stand him. I don't, I wish they were never friends to be honest. Right. I feel bad. I like feel perpetually bad for Jack Parsons yeah, because I mean, of that. Yeah. It seemed like he was always trying to do what he thought was the right thing. And they, he just got scammed by a scammer. Yeah. A person that had been a scammer before that and a scammer afterwards, it seems like to me. Yeah. Now, lastly, with when Parson died, there's a bunch of questions about around surrounding that. Do you think there, that those questions are worthy? Do you think somebody maybe killed him or that he just made a mistake? I mean, I think he was killed, to be honest, but I don't really have any evidence for that statement. Right. So I'm suspicious. I'll just say that. I'm I'm suspicious. Yeah, it seems like there because, were a lot of people that could have needed that to happen at that time. Yeah. Or, or wanted it to happen to protect themselves, even if they're just protecting um, the U.S. from letting Iraq science go to some other country and give them 
rocket science. You know. Yeah, I just think my my thoughts on it are he did so many more dangerous tests and was fine. Right. That it it feels weird, but I have no real like evidence to prove that. Right. So and it doesn't seem that's like, just me being a little conspiratorial. So. Right. Right. And it, but they didn't really do very good investigations back when it happened, so that leaves leaves it open to different types of conspiracies or questions. Yeah. And. Do you have like anything you want to add to the whole Parsons story or, or talking about Bellamy, something that you would want to leave, I guess, the listeners yeah. with? I think Parsons turned, revolutionized Salima's ideas on a spiritual level and changed it to a much, a way of a thing that I agree with very strongly. I think he was way, way ahead of his time. I really wish he didn't die as young as he did because he was like right towards the end of his life were some of his best work right. and some of his most interesting things that happened. So I just, I, I, I wish he had lived longer. I think he was so ahead of his time. Even if you're not into the like occult stuff beyond finding it interesting, just his ideas on like politics and society are so relevant that he was, he was truly like, in my opinion, one of the greatest minds of his century. I think he's, I think he's just the embodiment of someone who lived in line with their will and did what they wanted and what they knew was right for them and believed in something higher. I really respect him on a lot of levels. Right. And, be, and it seemed like it, doing this, it wasn't making his life just easy. He was just doing what he felt like he had to do to make his life correct or right for him. It's almost seemed like. Yeah, he unbashedly lived how he wanted to live and followed his passions and dreams. It's beautiful. One, do you feel like giving us your social media information one more time just to make sure that everybody gets it? Yep. Uh, I am Georgina Rose. I go by Dot Darling on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube and Patreon. And I'm under Occultism with a Side of Salt. Uh, Dot Darling is where all my educational stuff is, where I give like Thelema beginner stuff and all that. Occultism with Side of Salt is my podcast. It's a commentary podcast on issues in the occult community and sort of like top topics in the spiritual community and sort of like community improvement type stuff. So if you're interested in commentary on the spiritual community, that's on Spotify, YouTube and Patreon as well. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for for talking to us about all this. Uh, And we can talk again about different subjects that you're that you've studied oh absolutely just let me know it was great thank you for having me on